Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Jesus loves even me. So I want to ask you today, how self-aware are you? Or how self-aware are we as a, as a congregation? Uh, yesterday we had this uh, walk through the Old Testament event here, Old Testament Live, and, and participants learned 40 different hand signals uh, to help remember some key characters and, and events in the Old Testament. And, and, and uh, I would say that some of us, besides just me, felt a little self-conscious as we tried uh, at the end of it to, to keep up with all the 40 different hand signals uh, as we went through them. But you know, being self-conscious is, is not quite the same thing as being self-aware. Uh, I, I am self-aware enough uh, to know that leading actions up front is not my strong suit. And, and there's a reason that we have Bridget do that on, on, uh, at Lenten services instead of me. Um, uh, about, well, I guess a couple weeks ago now, we, we had a, a deacons and pastoral staff retreat, a um, little mini retreat, uh, Friday night, uh, for a few hours together, and then again Saturday morning, and, and we shared some scripture together, we prayed together, and we took a look at some of the various ministries of our congregation over the last year and, and considered how we might encourage them and, and strengthen them. And we also took some time for a little, um, you might say, self-assessment of our own personality types within that group, uh, strengths and weaknesses that come with those personality types, and, and that exercise might have been a, a little enlightening for some of us, Hopefully it uh, helped us understand ourselves better and also our fellow church leaders. You see, knowing ourselves and those around us can be a useful thing. Um, the opposite is also true, though. And not really knowing ourselves or the personalities that uh, we live and work with can be a hindrance sometimes to our working together. And not really knowing our own hearts can also be a problem. Today we're going to be looking at uh, another of those letters to the churches there in Revelation, the, the letter to the church at Laodicea. It's a church that you might say was lacking in self-awareness. Um, the Laodiceans were quite aware of who they were as a city. Um, they were rather proud of some of those things, uh, and their pride in their city seemed to carry over into their church and, and left them blind to their own spiritual condition. You see, Laodicea was a city in, in a, what's now southern Turkey. It was founded by this Greek king, Antiochus uh, II, and named after his wife, Laodice. And the Laodiceans then prided themselves in being known for some things, particularly one of them was um, they were the wealthiest city in uh, Phrygia. So, so wealthy that when a severe earthquake came along in 60 A.D., um, they rebuilt their city without any outside help from Rome or others. They're also known for their textile industry, uh, particularly for raising this special kind of sheep, um, a variety that had a really glossy black wool. And uh, they were famous for that, and, and uh, there was much demand for that in the area. 
Laodicea was also known uh, for its medical school and for production of a, a unique eye salve that was made out of Pregian powder and, and oil. However, they're, they're also, the Laodiceans also had a major weakness that their city was aware of, and that was that they had a lack of good water supply. And thus they had to rely on water that was piped in above ground via an aqueduct uh, from springs about six miles to the south. And so just keep some of those things in mind about that city of Laodicea now as we read this letter to the church at Laodicea. It's in, in uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read. <clears throat> To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness will, be re will not be revealed, and I salve to apply to your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to, into him and will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you again for this year word to a specific congregation years ago, but Lord, thank you that your Holy Spirit also applies it to each of our individual hearts and to this congregation, and we pray that you would um, open our, our minds and our hearts to hear your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> the Christian congregation at Laodicea likely was started as a result of the Apostle Paul's uh, missionary journey um, to nearby Colossae. And though, as far as we know, Paul never visited this city, he wrote um, a letter that we have in our Bibles to the church at Colossae, and, and in there he mentioned to share it with the church at Laodicea. And, and here in, in Revelation, then, we have this letter from Jesus Christ to the congregation there at Laodicea. And, and so, as with the other letters that we looked at here recently, um, it starts out, Jesus Christ being the author of this letter, and he begins by identifying some things about himself. And so look at verse 14 there as we begin, and we see what I'm, I'm going to call the self-aware Christ. And I say that because Jesus Christ definitely does not lack self-awareness. He is fully aware of who he is and what his role is in relation to this congregation and to the whole universe. And he describes himself here then as the Amen. And Amen is, is an acknowledgement of something that is valid or is binding and thus we say amen at, at the end of our prayers, um, meaning, Lord, let what I just prayed about be so. And, and when Jesus calls himself the amen, he, he's stating that he is the one 
in, in whom perfect conformity to reality is exemplified. He, he is the unchanging one. <clears throat> He's also the faithful and true witness, he says here. That, that is, his words are entirely trustworthy. And boy, is that a valuable thing to know about Jesus. In these days when we hear all kinds of false testimonies and news reports and conflicting um, scientific studies and opposing political viewpoints and, and we're left not knowing just what we can believe, Jesus says he is the faithful and the true witness. He is also, he says, the origin of the creation of God. Or as Paul says about Jesus in his letter to the church at Colossae, uh, for in him, Jesus, <clears throat> all things were created, both in heavens and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is also the head of the body, the church. And that flows right then into this next point about Jesus, and that is this, that he knows the deeds of this congregation at Laodicea, and really of every congregation. And all churches, all Christian congregations are answerable to Jesus today as well, whether they realize it or not. And they should all be more concerned really with their accountability to Jesus Christ than to secular government or to anyone else. He is the one that they and we have to answer to in eternity. And in verse 19, we see concerning Jesus then that he loves the church. And it's because he loves every Christian congregation that he rebukes and he disciplines those whom he loves. And so the rather blunt words from Jesus to the church at Laodicea are, are said here as a loving rebuke. I, I like what Barclay says in a commentary about it. He describes the, the rebuke of God as not so much punishment, but illumination. Jesus is speaking to a congregation that's not very self-aware, and, and he, the faithful and true witness, then is speaking the truth to them about their current condition in order that they might not stay that way, but rather that they would become aware, and, and that would result then in a change of heart and of actions. And so what does he say then about this unaware congregation at Laodicea? He says this, you're, you're neither hot nor cold. Now remember that water situation for the city of Laodicea. This would have been on their minds as they get this letter and read that. Uh, you know, without a direct water supply, they had to rely on this aqueduct then, which is an above-ground channel um, in the stone um, that would carry then the water the six miles um, from the springs at, at uh, uh, Denizli. And by the time then that that water would get those six miles to Laodicea, it was no longer cold and fresh. It would be rather lukewarm and, and, and tepid. Not that good to drink. What is Jesus saying about the church at Laodicea? He, he's saying, you're like your water supply. Lukewarm. So blah that, that you feel like spitting it out of your mouth when you start to drink it. Now just what does this mean? And what doesn't it mean? You know, I, I guess I have heard at times this preached on in, in such a way that I've been made to think that that I, I should have some kind of a feeling about being really fired up hot for God every moment of my life. And if I'm not, then I better try harder to generate such an emotion, such a zeal, because I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. And that pressure then is on me to become something that is always unattainable. 
And I don't believe that's an accurate understanding of this verse. Lenski explains neither hot nor cold this way. He says, cold equals the person that is never converted, never touched by the gospel fire. Hot is the person that is really converted, actually heated by this blessed fire. And he says, and the Lord wishes that his church were one or the other and not trying to be something in between. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. There can be no saying, you know, I'm kind of for Jesus, you know, on some things, but I disagree with him on others. Or, or saying, well, I, I'll follow Jesus on Sundays, but I'm going to live any way I want the rest of my life. That can't work. You cannot serve two masters that conflict. Let's go on and take a further look at what Jesus is saying here to the church at Laodicea and then draw some further conclusions on how that applies to us. He says here in verse 17, You say, I am rich, I've become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. <clears throat> and again, this is a reflection then on the culture of that city in which they lived. Richest city around, prosperous businesses thriving, self-sufficient, no one needing a handout here. And the church folk at Laodicea felt very self-satisfied as well, thinking they had arrived at some kind of a spiritual plateau, completely sanctified maybe, or not, not sinning anymore, something like that. Well, they were really living in a fantasy world, an, an illusion. They were blind to their own heart condition. And I'm thinking that with that, then they probably quit reaching out to others with the gospel. They just got together, congratulate each other on how good they were. Kind of like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, living their religious life all for an outward show of their own goodness when they were really seriously hypocrites. R.C.H. Lenski uh, wrote his commentary back in the 1940s, and he says something I think is quite relevant to church today as well. He says, in the church today... <clears throat> Thousands are satisfied with their empty moralism, their arid rationalism, their pleasurable worldliness. And this they have accumulated until they think, I have need of nothing. And they pity other churches, and they've, they've vastly improved Christianity of their fathers. They have gone to the very top, he says, end quote. Well, well, Jesus sees this type of an attitude in the folks there in the church at Laodicea, and it's possible he sees it in congregations today as well. And he, the faithful and true witness, then says this. He says, but, that's what you think, but you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Wretched and miserable, that is, you are objects of extreme pity. And Laodiceans, you, you may be financially wealthy, but you're spiritually poor. So poor spiritually that you're at the point of needing to beg. You may be known for your eye salve and have great ability to see physically, but you're spiritually blind and you can't see the truth. You may be proud of your fancy black wool that people wear, clothes made out of, but you're spiritually naked. And public nakedness is cause for shame. The situation at the church at Laodicea reminds me a bit of something that many of you are familiar with, this Hans Christian Andersen story of the emperor's new clothes where the emperor was self-deceived and believing that he was wearing the finest clothes around when really he was parading around naked. And no one would tell him because he was the emperor. 
Well, Jesus Christ, the faithful and true witness, tells the truth here, and he, he describes the true condition of the hearts of the people in the congregation at Laodicea in order that they would see their spiritual nakedness and they would get some clothes on. And so let's look at the remedy that he describes then for this congregation that had been lacking in self-awareness. <clears throat> the, the remedy there in verse 18 and following is, is really to become self-aware. It, it's to repent, admit your condition, and be zealous for the truth. Quit pointing a finger at all the other sinners out there and look within at your own sinful heart. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. It says that in and of ourselves there is none righteous, not even one. And you know, there are sins that are done out in the open where others see them, and then there are sins of the heart, like lust and envy and arrogance and pride. And there are the subtler sins uh, that we might do with others as well, of gossip or cheating or lying. And we sometimes even get so used to practicing some of those things that we're blind to them uh, until God's word or someone else points them out to us. And, and the only remedy for us starts then with admitting our sins and repenting and, and turning from them and looking to Jesus and calling out to him to forgive us. <clears throat> and to change our hearts. And he recommends to the congregation at Laodicea here what else to do here. He says to buy from him, from Christ, then gold and white garments and eye salve. And and Jesus is saying here then, you you might have financial wealth, but if you want real wealth, I have the gold that you need. You may wear fancy black wool, but inside you are black with sin. And I can clothe you with garments of white, That is, I can wash away your sins and make you whiter than snow. You may have eye salve that soothes your physical eyes, but I can make your your spiritually blind eyes to see. And his point here then is that all of this is available, and it's available from him, if we will just humble ourselves and we'll ask him. And I find it interesting here, though. Um, In these verses it says here, uh, to buy from him these things. And yet in the passage that we read earlier today here in Isaiah 55, uh, there God spells out that, that we can buy it, but the cost is actually free. Now, offers of things that are free are really great. Um, but we generally have to respond even to them in order to get those things. Every once in a while, um, I see something advertised for free on uh, Facebook Marketplace, and if it's something I've been looking for for a while, I'm on it right then. Uh, one time it happened that uh, I saw something, and uh, it was 10 o'clock at night. And uh, I was looking for a door to put on my uh, greenery project that I'm converting into a cabin. And I uh, found that somebody had put it out on the curb here uh, a nice front door you know, assembly for a, for a house. So it had the metal door and the two glass sides and whatnot, just just perfect. It worked great for that. My sons and I went and picked it up at 10 o'clock at night off somebody's yard. Um, another time I saw uh, a topper available just for my pickup truck I had bought and I uh, had to drive to Pelican Rapids to get it, but it was free. Of, of course, the, cop, the topper didn't have a back window and the front door from somebody's house was warped. Um, there are reasons people give things away free. This last month, uh, spotted something else, uh, a free carry case for a home light 
chainsaw. I have a chainsaw at home, but I didn't have a case. And I decided, you know, it's my day off here. Springtime. I talked Gene into going for a drive on my day off with me. Um, we went to some country road out north of uh, Kindred to get this carry case that somebody had told me they'd leave on their front driveway. Got there and picked it up and looked in great shape. It, it was filthy, though. Um, grease all over it and so on. But, you know, I took it to the... Uh, to the car wash and use the power washer on it twice and it came out really clean brought that home got down my pool and chainsaw to put it in there and I realized it didn't fit <laughs> I guess I didn't really need it anyway and by the way if there's anybody listening that has a home light chainsaw without a case got a deal for you <laughs> but you know that's the way it is with so many things that uh, we think are free in this life uh, they look inviting to us and and we don't get them unless we respond in some way. And when we see that advertisement, and, and uh, when we do respond, sometimes we're really disappointed. No, that's not so with this free gift that Jesus Christ offers us here. We all need it. And we still have to respond to the offer, though. However, if we do, we're not going to be disappointed. He can give us true spiritual wealth. He can open our eyes to, to see the true sinful heart condition. And he can then clothe us with a perfect righteousness. But notice here, Jesus doesn't force his offer on anyone. And you see in verse 20, then, the gentleness of the Savior. It tells us he stands at the door and he knocks. Now, now if somebody's knocking at a door... His desires are quite clear. He's hoping to gain entrance, but he's waiting to be invited in. And think about this now, how odd this is to have Jesus outside of a church, knocking and waiting to be invited into the church. And yet that's the picture that Jesus' letter here to the church at Laodicea paints. A congregation so full of themselves that they didn't see their need for Jesus. And you know it's possible that there are Christian churches today as well that don't think they need Jesus anymore. They, they've lost sight of their sinfulness and their need for a Savior, and, and they're just full of themselves. May that never be the case for us here at Maranatha. May we be a congregation that, that knows each week why we're here. We know that we are in need of Jesus, and, and we invite him into our gatherings and into our hearts. Dr. Ole Hallisby wrote a classic book on prayer. Some of you maybe have read it. And in it, in one chapter, he expounds on this verse, your Revelation 3.20, and he says this. It's always stuck with me here. He says what prayer is. Prayer is helplessness, he says. Prayer is simply telling Jesus in which ways I am helpless today and then letting him into that situation. You and I may have areas in our lives in which we have some real problems going on. And we don't know what to do. And Jesus is, in a way, you might say, standing outside the door of our heart, knocking, offering to come into that problem. Will we open the door? Will we admit we even have a problem? Will we say to him, come on in, Lord Jesus, I need you, I need you to help this thing that only you can help. He says here, if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in. And that's his promise. And so, do you hear him knocking? Do you hear his voice? And will you open the door? You know, Jesus enters the church one heart at a time. 
And he only enters the hearts of, of those who hear his voice and who open the door. And to them then he promises that he'll come into them and he'll dine with them. It's, it's this beautiful picture of fellowship around a table, a personal relationship with him in daily life here in this earth and also in heaven as well. And you see in verse 21 also an amazing promise where he says this. He says, he who overcomes, Christ will grant to sit down with him on his throne. And you know, when, when we see that statement, it, it brings up the possibility that somebody might not overcome, that they might let go of the Christian faith and go lost. Overcoming involves persevering through the trials of this life, not letting go of what we put our trust in, looking to Jesus every day to give us spiritual sight and to make us self-aware, seeing our sinful heart condition and looking to him to cleanse our hearts and our consciences and to clothe us then in his perfect righteousness. Letting Jesus in into the various areas of our lives and allowing him to come in and dine with us and work change in us where that's needed. And to the one who overcomes his promise and the amazing privilege of one day sitting down with Jesus on his throne in glory in heaven. I remind you then, if the Lord's been speaking to your heart today, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, I thank you for your word today that reminds us of our own sinful heart condition. Lord, help us that we would not be so proud that we wouldn't admit that condition. Uh, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, that we would be self-aware, and Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you and ask you for help. We pray that you help us to live then in daily repentance and faith. And Lord, if there are some of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, but who have at times been kind of keeping that door closed in certain areas of our life, we pray that you would help us. And we'd see that too. That we'd be willing to be honest with you and admit that struggle, admit that sin, and ask you to work to change there as well. To come in and take, um, take control of that area and cleanse it, Lord. If there be people who are listening today who, who don't know you, who, who uh, recognize that uh, even today you're, you're outside their heart, uh, knocking and, and uh, letting them know that you would be glad to come in, that you love them, that you want to come in and fellowship with them. You want to work change in their heart and life. You want to bring cleansing and make them white as snow. Uh, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would uh, just empower them to, take that step, that they would be honest with you. And as they ask for forgiveness, that they would know the promise of your word, that, that you do forgive and cleanse. And Lord, we pray that you would have your way in each heart, in each life this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.